This is the Anatomy of a Scream Pod Squad Network. Hey everybody, this is Jessica, and welcome to Monster Books Podcast, the podcast where we talk about kids' horror books that adult horror fans will love. Today's topic, we're going to look at a couple of YA books that deal with zombies. Whether they're fast zombies or slow zombies, whether they're voodoo zombies or mysterious radiation zombies, everybody loves zombies. They're an evergreen horror topic. You can explore so much with them. Uh, So many authors and so many filmmakers have dealt with zombies in really cool ways. And I'm really excited to talk about these two books today because I think they approach zombies from a really interesting perspective. Both of these books are pretty political. You know, kids' books are, they're often more political than people think because political topics affect kids just as much as they affect adults. You know, kids shouldn't be shielded from serious topics or political topics. So I'm always happy to see when a kid's book isn't afraid to get political. And that's definitely the case with both of these books. And especially since 1968, when George Romero released Night of the Living Dead, zombies have been a really, really popular vehicle for exploring politics. Horror explores the current fears of the day, the things that we're scared of, and a lot of times the things that we're scared of are political topics. They tend to go hand in hand often. So we're going to get a little political today, but we're still going to stick to the horror. We're going to talk about how creepy these books are, how entertaining these books are, but I'm not going to avoid talking about their political ideals either. So get ready. We're going to talk about Out of Salem first. This is a book by Hal Shreve. And as always, I'm going to start with the synopsis. And I've also got a couple of content warnings for you. So the synopsis for Out of Salem. Genderqueer 14-year-old Z Chilworth has to adjust quickly to their new status as a zombie after waking from death from a car crash that killed their parents and sisters. Always a talented witch, Z now can barely perform magic and is rapidly decaying. Faced with rejection from their remaining family members and old friends, Z moves in with their mother's friend, Mrs. Dunnigan, and befriends Azel, a loud would-be goth classmate who is, like Z, a loner. As Z struggles to find a way to repair the broken magical seal holding their body together, Azel fears that her classmates will discover her status as an unregistered werewolf. When a local psychiatrist is murdered by what seems to be werewolves, the town of Salem, Oregon becomes even more hostile to monsters and Z and Azel are driven together in an attempt to survive a place where most people wish that neither of them existed. As far as the content warnings, um, there's a mention of suicide, and the characters deal with uh, a lot of transphobia and homophobia, so I just want you to be aware of that going in. And this book is rated ages 12 plus, but like everything that I discuss on the podcast, it is perfect for adults as well. It's really entertaining, it's really creepy, it goes some really interesting places that we'll get into in a second. And like I said, the, the politics are, they're woven into the story in a really cool way, and they're very relevant for kids and adults today, so... There's a lot going on just in terms of different ideas and different genres in this book. There's a lot of fantasy, there's a lot of sci-fi, and obviously there's a lot of horror because we've got, you know, a zombie and a werewolf as our main characters. 
It's set in 1997 in Salem, Oregon, in kind of an alternate universe version of that city. Most people in this world are capable of performing magic, and creatures like werewolves and zombies and fae and selkies exist, and they're not considered fairy tale creatures. They're not considered fantasy. People just accept, yeah, this is how things are. Selkies are totally a real thing. <laughs> Which is exciting to me because you don't see a lot of selkies in stories, and I think that's super cool. But yeah, and the magic system is really interesting. The zombieism isn't, it's not something that you think of today where some pandemic hits, which, you know, I apologies if that's a, a touchy topic, considering that we're dealing with a pandemic at the moment. Uh, I hope everybody's staying safe, keeping your masks on, washing your hands. But, you know, Z doesn't become a, a zombie because of, you know, radiation fallout from nuclear testing, anything that you think of from the classic post-Romero zombie movies. It's more in line with zombie movies from the 30s and 40s that dealt more with voodoo and magic in terms of people turning into zombies. But the interesting thing with Z is Z is not this mindless, shambling zombie that is under someone else's control all the time. For the most part, Z is in control of their faculties and knows what's happening to them, can control their movements. That's that's one of the really cool things about Z. I almost made the topic of this episode body horror rather than zombies, because one of the really cool things about this book is our protagonist is a zombie. We get to watch what happens as Z deals with decaying body parts, body parts falling off, skin rotting, joints popping out of socket, and eyeball dislocating. <laughs> That's one of my favorite details from the book. Um, at one point, an eyeball pops out and Z can still see out of it. And I just thought that was the coolest thing. I wanted to research it to see if that was realistic. I wanted to know if you could really see out of an eyeball that were that had been dislocated, but it makes total sense because if the optic nerve is still attached, why wouldn't you be able to see out of it? But I just, that one detail has stuck out to me as being so gross and so wonderful and I love it so much. So as you can see, there's a lot of body horror in this book. Z has to deal with trying to keep their thoughts together, trying to stay as human as possible and deal with the fact that Z was a witch before they died and they can't really do magic anymore since Z isn't human anymore, Z can't connect to that magic. So seeing Z not only lose their family, but also lose a huge part of who they were before, it's really sad. It's really fascinating. It really gives you a lot of insight into Z's character. And it's just a really cool examination of this whole world and how magic and how supernatural creatures operate in this world. I mentioned that it's a really political book. It's really political because Z is genderqueer. Azel is a lesbian. So obviously there's a lot that they deal with in terms of being marginalized because of gender identity or sexual orientation. Also, Azel is Turkish American. She deals with a lot of racism and a lot of discrimination because of her religion. She's Muslim. She's queer. She's Muslim. She's not white in this majority white Christian town. So Azel's got a lot going on. On top of that, she's an unregistered werewolf. In this world, werewolves have to be registered. And the government, especially the police, do not treat werewolves well at all. There's a, a strong correlation between lycanthropy and mental illness in this story and between lycanthropy and immigration status. The mental illness angle is werewolves are seen as dangerous and unstable and the government doesn't know what to do with them, doesn't know how to help them or doesn't want to help them. So they just hunt them down and lock them up or kill them. 
And that happens a lot with people with mental illnesses, especially more disruptive, quote unquote, illnesses like schizophrenia or certain mood disorders that if they're not managed with healthcare, if people don't have access to healthcare to deal with those issues, they're seen as being too disruptive to society to stay in society. So there's quite a correlation there that Shreve is drawing attention to where the government is not taking care of these people, society is not taking care of these people, and we have to do better at helping this population. Another aspect, I mean, obviously, you've got registered and unregistered werewolves. You can't help but think of documented versus undocumented immigrants, especially the fact that Azel is not white and she is an unregistered person. She's in a lot of danger just going about her normal life and hoping that nobody finds out her secret. So this is a book that really focuses on empathy a lot empathy for people who are marginalized in different ways. It also examines class quite a bit. So, you know, you've got all these intersections of class and race and religion, sexual orientation, gender, disability, all in a world that has a lot of a lot of bigotry, a lot of reactionary politics, a lot of police brutality. So, this is obviously a book that will feel very realistic and very relevant to people even with all these supernatural elements that are going on. One of the cool things I like about the book is Z and Azel form this found family because they're both queer kids in a world that doesn't really support queer people. But it's not a a coming of age story. It's not a coming into their gender identity or sexuality story because they already know who they are. There is absolutely a place for those stories, and I think it's important for kids to watch people struggle with figuring out who they are when they don't have the vocabulary to express it, or they just don't know what these feelings mean because they've never seen it represented. Adolescence is a confusing time regardless, so if you don't fit the norm that's prescribed by society, it's harder to figure that stuff out. So it's important for kids to have that, but I also like that we see Z and Azel as kind of these strong, confident people who know who they are. They're just trying to figure out how to best live in a world that doesn't care for who they are. So I really like that aspect of it as well. Another thing, I'm always going to praise authors who have kids who sound like kids. They don't sound like miniature adults and they don't sound like the author looks down on kids, kind of condescends to them and doesn't think of them as being very bright or very knowledgeable or very mature. No, Shreve respects the teen audience that this book is aimed at. There's no talking down to the kids, but they sound like actual kids. And I'm always going to praise that because you don't always get that in YA or kids books. That's another cool thing about it. It feels really authentic on a number of levels. Like I said, it's a really political book, but, you know, I hesitate to say, but it's still good because obviously a political book, that doesn't make it bad. Some people, I think, kind of run for the hills when they hear that something is political. I personally don't understand that. If you don't like politics at all, you won't like this book because it is heavily political. The ideals of empathy and looking out for marginalized people, it's baked into the very core of this book. But if you avoid this book, you'll be missing out. I'm telling you, there's so much suspense. There's such a cool system of magic and supernatural creatures and how they interact with each other. The friendship between Z and Azel and the relationships that they form with other people is really cool. The body horror is so awesome. I really love seeing a zombie story from a zombie's perspective. You know, when we're reading or watching zombie fiction, it's always, 
oh no, the humans are running from the zombie hordes. Run fast so we don't have our brains eaten. You know, <laughs> it's always about humans who are trying to avoid these mindless zombies. And I'm, I'm struggling to think of any zombie fiction where a human doesn't turn into a zombie. But even then, when a human transitions to a zombie, it's over pretty quickly and the person is killed pretty rapidly. You don't really know what it feels like for them. You don't know what their thoughts are or what the physical sensations are. So I really like that this book explores that. It explores Z trying to struggle to literally hold themselves together, like keep their body together, keep it from falling apart, keep their eyeball in that socket. So I just, I love the body horror aspect of it. Like I said, I, it, it's rare to find a horror story that is just one subgenre or just one genre. They're always, you know, a sci-fi horror movie or a possession story, ghost story, or, or, you know, a zombie story, body horror story. There's usually a lot more than one thing going on in a movie or a book. Not that there is anything wrong if you just stick to one lane and do it well. Obviously, I love that too, but it's really cool to see this mix of sci-fi, fantasy, horror, body horror, zombies, politics, kind of a queer coming of age story with this found family. It's it's a really cool subversion of the zombie narrative, and it's one of the most inventive books I've read in a long time. Um, it's really beautifully written. It's really suspenseful. It's really creepy at times, and some of that fear comes from the politics, comes from the situations that these kids find themselves in. You know, they're in a lot of danger. Most of the horror does not come from, oh no, look out, a zombie. No, it's, you know, I'm a marginalized kid. She's a marginalized kid. We don't have supportive families. We've got a government that hates us. We've got a society that hates us. Where do we go? What do we do? How do we survive? It's still very much a horror story and it's such a good one. There's a, you know, I've said it before and I'll say it again. I'm not going to spoil things for you. But I do want to talk about the final image of this book. I'm not going to describe it to you, but I'm going to describe the impact it had on me. It's such a good ending for a horror story because it gives you this feeling of, God, there's such a long road ahead. There's so much that seems so insurmountable, but we have to keep going anyway. There's a hopefulness. There's a sadness. There's a resignation, but there's still that glimmer of hope. You know, I, I like a really bleak ending. I like an ending where there's no hope whatsoever, but I also like the stories where there's just that little bit of hope there for you to hang on to. This is that story. There's a little bit of hope at the end, but the road is going to be long and it's going to be hard. That's an image that stuck with me. I read this book a couple years ago, but that has stuck with me for so long. It's just such a great image and such a great ending. So if you like body horror, if you like kind of alternate universe explorations of politics, if you like cool systems of magic and lots of supernatural creatures, if you like supernatural creatures that you don't often see in books, you know, beyond your werewolves, your zombies, your vampires, this is a great book to check out. It's something that kids will relate to. It's something that adults will relate to. And it's also something that will allow you to empathize with identities that maybe you don't share, which is always a good thing. So Out of Salem, I highly recommend it. It's a beautiful book. Next up, we've got Undead Girl Gang by Lily Anderson. Uh, this one is rated ages 14 plus, just in case you've got kids out there that you might want to share the book with. This podcast is aimed at adults who want to branch out into kids' books and they want to find something that's scary or that's really cool and will appeal to adults. 
But also I want to let y'all know, you know, if you have children or nieces or nephews or friends or whatever, if you're a teacher or a librarian, if you if you're looking for spooky books to recommend, I also like to let you know, hey, here's the recommended age range. Obviously those rules are not set in stone. Goodness knows I read a lot of books way earlier than I probably should have, but I think I turned out all right. I think I turned out with some pretty good taste in horror, so. All right, Undead Girl Gang. Gonna start with the synopsis. Mila Flores is an outcast in her hometown of Cross Creek. She is proudly Mexican, proudly fat, and proudly Wiccan in a town that is very white and very afraid of people who don't fit the norm. When her best friend Riley dies just a few days after her classmates June and Dayton are killed in a suspicious double suicide, Mila becomes even more of an outcast when she refuses to go along with the rest of the town in accepting Riley's death as just another suicide. Determined to prove that Riley didn't kill herself, Mila decides to use her magic to bring Riley back to life and bring her best friend's killer to justice. And as far as content warnings, you heard it in the synopsis, suicide is a content warning for this one. So just so you're aware of that. When I was putting this episode together and picking my books, I didn't realize how similar these two books were. You know, Z is a witch who becomes a zombie. Mila is a witch who ends up raising some zombies accidentally. And both of them are really political. Undead Girl Gang is probably less overtly political than Out of Salem, but Mila is still very outspoken. She's very political. She's very adamant in her opposition of racism, of misogyny, of classism. So it's definitely something that is an important aspect of the book, especially given Mila's relationship with her best friend and with some of the other people in the book, because one of the characters in the book is very racist towards Mila. I'm, I'm sorry, I neglected to mention that in the content warning. There is racism that Mila deals with. So that's also, you know, an aspect to be aware of. And also there's a lot of great body horror in this one, but we'll break it down. Undead Girl Gang was billed as Veronica Mars meets The Craft. And that's pretty apt. And of course, as soon as I saw that description, I bought the book immediately because Veronica Mars and The Craft are two of my favorite things in the world. There is one exception, but for the most part, this book lived up to the hype. It's hilarious, it's snarky, it's gory, it's spooky, it's heartbreaking, it's it's smart, it's body positive, it's really, really good. This is especially, I'm an adult woman, I read this as an adult, so obviously this is a book that I think adult women will really connect with. It's also something I think teen girls will connect with, but you don't have to be a woman, you don't have to be a teenager to like this book, it's just, it's a damn good book. So the exception I mentioned, this is ostensibly a murder mystery. Mila is trying to figure out who killed Riley. She's trying to figure it out before Riley has to return to the grave because Mila's spell is working on a clock. She's only got so much time before Riley's going to be dead again for real this time. So Mila has to figure out with Riley's help and the help of a couple of other people who accidentally come out of their graves as well. She has to figure out who the murderer is. And it was really obvious really early on who this murderer was. I do not believe I'm spoiling anything for you by saying that. That's the most I'm going to tell you in terms of clues as to the person's identity. Just that it felt obvious to me pretty much right away who the killer was. But that did not diminish my enjoyment of the book. You know, this is not a book that's just about, it's not just a whodunit. It's more about Mila and her relationship with Riley and the dynamics between Mila and everybody in her social circle, whether they're living or undead. 
one of the things that struck me so much about Mila and Riley's relationship is there's an emotional distance that Mila feels immediately when Riley comes back from the dead. If you've ever been in junior high or high school, let's say you leave eighth grade for summer break, you come back in ninth grade so ready to see your best friend, you've missed her so much, you were inseparable before, you have so much to talk about, you come back and everything's different. They're a completely different person, you're a completely different person, it feels like there's this huge chasm between the two of you and you don't know where it came from. You don't know what happened, you don't know which one of you changed, if both of you changed, if neither one of you changed. You don't know what you did wrong because it feels like you did something wrong and there's just no way to bridge that gap or to close the distance between the two of you. It's irreparable and anybody who's ever experienced that knows how devastating it is and we watch Mila go through that in real time and it happens so fast and it's so devastating and heartbreaking to watch her go through it. You know, I anybody who had any kind of high school or junior high experience where they lost a friend for seemingly no reason and seemingly overnight this will hit home really hard for you. That was one of my favorite parts of the book was Lily Anderson really nailed how that feels. It feels like no matter what you do, no matter what you say, that person is gone. You know, in, in Riley's case, she is literally dead. She has died and Mila is processing the grief of losing her friend in two different ways. You know, she loses her because she died and she loses her because there's this bizarre distance between them all of a sudden that she can't explain. So it explores that grief of losing friendships, which is not a form of grief that we talk about often enough, I don't think. But I did promise you body horror, and there's plenty of that in this. The zombies that Mila's kind of responsible for, at one point they go shopping and they're, you know, you know, looking in the mirror and trying to look presentable and they've got like a zombie cleanup on aisle seven in Target. It's really gross, but it's really hilarious. And I just, I love the idea of flesh rotting onto the aisles in the housewares section or trying on earrings or sunglasses, somebody's ear falls off. But yeah, like, like I mentioned with Out of Salem, that's another really cool aspect of the body horror is, you know, Mila is the main character, but she's not a zombie. But the other characters, we get to see them come to terms with their own mortality. You know, unlike Z, who is still trying to hold their body together and stay not alive, but stay alive as long as possible, Riley and the other zombies know that they have a ticking clock. They know that they are going to have to go back to the grave very soon. So seeing them deal with the certainty that they will be dead forever very soon, that's also a really, it's a really compelling story. It's a really fascinating story. It's really sad. It's very human. It's a really cool approach to horror, I think. The horror of facing your own mortality. What's more terrifying than that? And how they all deal with it individually and how they deal with it as a group, the dynamics between each person and the others. It's just a really cool examination of, you know, female adolescence and humanity in the face of our own mortality and coming to terms with the fact that, yeah, I'm gonna die. I just gave myself a chill saying that. It's, it's horrifying. So if my description of this is Veronica Mars meets the craft made you think, ugh, that can't be scary, that can't be interesting. No, there is a lot going on in this book that will creep you out, that will make you think, that will make you consider your own humanity, your own mortality. It'll make you grieve for friends that you've lost, both friends that have died or just friendships that have died. It's a really cool book and a lot of the body horror comes from 
Mila's spells. This is not a spoiler, but at one point Mila performs a spell to reveal the identity of the killer, and the way it's revealed is really disgusting. It was, it was, it was a great moment. It wasn't, the identity of the person wasn't shocking, but just the way it was revealed was so gross and so awesome that, you know, it really earned its stripes in the body horror subgenre there. And speaking of the witchcraft, obviously not all Wiccans are witches, and not all witches are Wiccans. But in this case, Mila is a Wiccan. She is a witch. She's a pretty powerful witch, too, as you can see by the fact that she accidentally performed necromancy. <laughs> so she's got some skills. She got, she's got she got some chops. And the, the way that the book ends is... I, I would honestly kill for a sequel to this book. I would love to read more about Mila and the relationships that she forms by the end of the book and the things that she learns. And I would love to see what else she can do with that magic of hers. If she wants, to, if Lily Anderson wants to raise a whole graveyard full of zombies, I would read that in a heartbeat. So if you're looking for a really funny, really snarky, but at the same time creepy and spooky and really gory book about zombies and witches, Undead Girl Gang is the book for you. It's it's intersectional, it's spooky, it's eerie. Mila is so funny and strong and snarky and she's got so much attitude. It's just a really, really fun book, but it's one that makes you think and it's got a lot of heart. So, you know, most of the books that I talk about, it's never just, this was scary, you're welcome, go read it. There's nothing wrong with that at all, but there's always a little more depth to these than just, oh, that was scary. Oh, that was spooky. No, there's always more going on in these books because I want to read about things that have something to say about life and kids want to read things that have something to say about life. And both of these books absolutely do. So Undead Girl Gang, snarky, gory, zombie cleanup on aisle seven. Definitely check it out. <laughs> Okay, that's it for our zombie episode. I will definitely plan another episode that's body horror that's not necessarily dealing with zombies because I'm a huge body horror fan. I really liked talking about it this episode because it's such a cool approach to the body horror subgenre through zombie protagonists. It's just, it's such a cool approach and both of these books pull it off really well and do really cool things with it. And I also really like that they combine witchcraft and zombieism. So I'll also have episodes about witches. There are categories that so many of these books could fit into so many of these different categories. But I thought that this was a really great pairing. I'd love for you to check out both of these books and let me know what you thought. So find me on Twitter, leave me a comment, leave me a review, give me a follow, give me a like. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed the show. I hope that you read these books and that you enjoy them. If you've already read them, let me know what you thought. Let me know if I skipped over something that you wanted to hear about or if you've got a different perspective on it that you'd like to share. I would love to hear from you. So again, thanks so much for listening. This is Monster Books Podcast and keep it creepy, kids. Squad.